Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that you would immerse us in this story. Lord, it, as, as for some it's, it's familiar, as for some it's uh, unknown. Lord, I pray for each of us we would meet you and hear your voice. Please speak to us, Lord. Give us hearts that are willing to obey what you tell us. And for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. It's just a special welcome to you if you're visiting or if you're new. Uh, we're thrilled you're here. I hope you uh, might be able to make this evening. Come to our, one of our carols by candlelight services. Just a fantastic evening. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. So do come to that. I just want to uh, add my uh, encouragement to that from as to Mark's. Um, I don't know about you, but I love nativity stories. I love it when the children come and perform nativity stories. Uh, how many of us as children were in a nativity play? Was it something we did? Just let's do a show of hands. So quite a lot of us. Um, one of the things about the Christmas story is, isn't it true that we can just breeze over Christmas? The kind of idea of what Christmas is all about. Um, Partly because we have our mind on writing Christmas cards and debating do we send an email this year or a card because postage is so expensive or you know who, who's providing what for Christmas lunch and, and these kind of things they just kind of overwhelm us and we can forget the, the kind of depth and wonder of the Christmas story and I, I don't know, for me I watch that and it reminds me again of, of the centrality of Jesus, God made flesh moving into the neighbourhood. God made flesh coming to redeem the world. God made flesh to change lives. And I think the only way, actually, when we have a story that's so familiar like the Christmas story, or like the story we read uh, this morning, The Feeding of the 5,000, is, is we need to immerse ourselves in that story. We need to, to, to kind of, if you like, be part of the story. I don't know if you were, what parts you played in your nativity when you were younger, you know, I don't think I ever made it to the heights of Joseph. That was the, you know, the pinnacle for a guy was to be Joseph. I probably was a shepherd because all I could provide was a tea towel. Uh, so you'd tie that around your head and then you were good to go. But in this story, you know, we need to immerse ourselves in, in this story if we're to, to meet Jesus afresh in a, in a, in a familiar place. We need to immerse ourselves in this story. And we can pick a character, we can pick uh, a bystander, we can just be there and imagine what it would be like to be in that place. And, and I wonder if Jesus might meet with us in a, in a new way. And maybe for some of us, we, we read these stories and we think, these are familiar. And we don't want familiarity to breed contempt when it comes to our Bible stories, to, to flick through the common things. We want to ask God to speak new things to us through stories that we know well. We want God to make real again the familiar things that are found there. So I'd encourage you, you know, if you get some time, immerse yourself in this story. Um, put yourself as one of the characters there. And I think you'll find a richness and depth that comes from it. This particular story, the feeding of the 5,000, it's one of those stories that's really important in all of the Gospels. In fact, all four Gospels include it, uh, which means it was one of the central stories uh, that the early church wanted to remember about Jesus. Um, the reason I think that it was such a key story is, is the depth and richness of, of the Old Testament that's found in there. There's loads of imagery from the Old Testament that's there. So, for example, one of the things in the reading which really struck me this week was when Jesus uh, kind of orders the crowd into groups of 50 and 100, he sits them down on the green grass. Why did Mark say green? Why did Mark just not say grass? Well, I think it's because um, the grass is greenest in the spring. And at spring, it's Passover. 
And Passover is one of the central kind of festivals uh, of, of, for the Jewish people, where they would uh, sacrifice the Passover lamb, where God passed over his people. Um, and for them, that was key to their story. And, and actually, we know for Jesus that he is the Passover lamb. He's the sacrifice made once for the sins of the world. So that imagery is really important to this story. Not only that, when Jesus is feeding, giving bread to the masses and feeding the thousands of people there, the, the, the Jewish people, the uh, first century Jew, will be transported back to the wilderness when God provided every day the manna from heaven, that he's the provider for his people. They'd be reminded of Moses and how he, he shepherded the people. And we see Jesus as the good shepherd in this story. You know, he... He's getting away from the crowds and trying to take the disciples with him and he, he comes to the other side of the lake and he gets off the boat and who is there before him? Not a wilderness where he can have space but thousands of people who've all come to meet him again. And we're told Jesus saw the crowds, had compassion for they were sheep without a shepherd or like sheep without a shepherd. And that little phrase is, is found again and again in the Old Testament, uh, through the prophets particularly, who talk about the people of God who've lost their way, who've lost their king, who have no one they're following. And Jesus sees people like that um, and has compassion. Jesus, the good shepherd. The people of Israel were often described as sheep and God as their shepherd. Again, as Mark is saying to, to his readers, to the people he's trying to communicate to, do you see who this guy is? He's the one who fulfills so much of the story. He's central to God's redemption plan in history. So this story is rich in, 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 in Old Testament imagery and it connects us to the story of God throughout history. And not only that, but in Mark's gospel, it's, 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 a, it's a really key story. It's found in context, to, the context of the story is that the 12 disciples have been, or apostles have been sent out by Jesus to do the works that Jesus had done. So up to this point in Mark, we've seen Jesus heal the sick, preach about the kingdom of God, you know, deliver those who are oppressed and trapped and demonized. And so he says to the disciples, now it's your turn. I'm not going to be with you, but you're going to do the things that I've been doing. Preaching, teaching, healing, setting people free. And you go with my authority, with my spirit upon you. And we know they go for, a, they go for quite a while. They're, they're told to stay in different towns and places where they're welcomed. Um, and to take very little with them, to depend daily on God's provision through others. That's the first significant event that, that leads into this story. The second, which I want to talk about for a couple of moments, is, is the death of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a huge figure uh, in, in the New Testament. He was the prophet who pointed to Jesus, the one who said, he is the one you to follow. You know, people came to him and said, are you the Messiah, John? And John said, no, not me. I'm, you know, the one who's coming after me, he's the one. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. He's the one to follow. Jesus is the Messiah. And John was a bold guy. His teaching and his, his proclamation, they were, they were quite offensive to people of the day. They really riled uh, uh, Herod particularly. So Herod had him arrested because he, he, he spoke strongly against his uh, adulterous marriage to um, Herodias. And um, John finds himself in trouble but refuses to compromise. And ultimately that leads to his execution. And we know from Matthew's Gospel that Jesus hears about this from the disciples of John the Baptist. And Jesus straight away seeks time to find space. So you have this scene set. The disciples coming back from their mission trip. They've seen people respond to the good news of the kingdom. They've seen people healed. They've seen people set free. And they're probably on cloud nine. This is, this is what we're made for. We've done the stuff that Jesus has done. 
they're really excited and they come back into a place where Jesus tells them the news of John the Baptist. Sometimes it's true, isn't it, at this time of year, we, we feel like the activity that's, that's all around us can be overwhelming. We come into that place feeling sad or struggling or low and activity hits us. We've got to prepare for Christmas. We've got to get things ready. We've got to wrap presents, decorate things. And just, we just find, we feel like we're on a treadmill and there's no way of getting off until, you know, Boxing Day. And even then we've got more family coming and it just feels like it's on top of us. And in these moments of real busyness, in these moments of where everything around us seems to be going on, we can neglect the things, the important things of our hearts. We can neglect what's going on in our lives. Jesus, in the midst of a really busy time, he's got 12 disciples coming at him with exciting stories of what God has done. He's got his own grief. Jesus was fully human. He wept at his friend Lazarus' funeral. He weeps with those who weep. He's sad because his cousin has been killed, has been murdered. And because so many people, verse 31 in the passage tells us, were coming and going, they didn't even have chance to eat. It was so busy and Jesus says, in this moment we need to get away. In this moment we need to get away. And as I was praying about this message this week, and obviously in light of all that happened on Friday as well, uh, in, um, in Newtown in Connecticut, it's so important to deal with our grief to deal with those things that make us sad and anxious and not to bury them in a kind of wave of, of, of busyness. It's easy, even at this time of year, and actually at this time of year sometimes it's more acute, isn't it? Things come to the surface. You know, grief that we've had, hurt that we've suffered, loss that we've experienced. And we, we can fight it down and just busy ourselves up. And Jesus here, in fact I think the feeding of the 5,000 was on his way to getting some space and time alone with his father so that he can process what he was going through. Do we need to take some time out like Jesus did to deal with and process the things in our life that we're wrestling with? Or are we just allowing the busyness of life to kind of hide what really is important? I know it's hard at Christmas, particularly when you've got family and children and food and cards and all that sort of thing. But I think Jesus is inviting some of us today to come to him. Listen to these words. They're well-known words of Jesus from Matthew 11. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. If today you just need to come to him, you just need to come to him and say, Lord, I need you. I need to deal with this stuff and I've got the busyness of life around me. Help me to find space. Today we have that invitation from God, from Jesus himself. says, come to me and receive rest. And in the context of that, you know, Jesus in this passage is revealing himself as the good shepherd. In, um, in verse 34, we, we, we read Jesus' response to the crowds who've chased him round the lake. Can you imagine the frustration that you would feel? You feel like, I've got 10 minutes, I've got some peace and quiet, and the phone rings. I've got some time to myself, and the baby wakes up. I've got some time to rest, and you can't get to sleep. 
Have you ever had those frustrations? Doesn't it just drive you mad? I wonder how they felt. The disciples in the boat, they've got away. We've gone out to sea. They can't follow us here, but they can walk around the shore. And can you imagine them seeing the crowd coming round? They may be saying to Jesus, Jesus, let's turn around, see if we can beat them back to the other side, just to get some space. But Jesus lands and he says this. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He began teaching them many things. The attempt to get away is, and recharge is halted by the persistent crowd. But Jesus has compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. They were lost people. They were poor people. They were people whose lives depended on getting to Jesus. In the Old Testament, again, Ezekiel, one of the prophets, he speaks really harshly to the rulers of Israel at his time. In Ezekiel chapter 34, he, he really goes for them and says, because you're supposed to be the shepherds of Israel, you're supposed to look after the people, and you have neglected your job. And what that results in is, is the sheep are scattered. They lose purpose. They have no sense of what they're to do, of right and wrong. There's no one to say, this is the way, walk in it. Jesus has compassion on the crowds because they are like those lost sheep. They have no sense of where they're going. You know, the people of God have been taken into exile and they'd returned back to their land, but they never really felt like they'd returned back to God. And Jesus saw that and he's come to bring them back to himself. He's come to restore the crowd, the poor, the sick, the captive, the depressed, the hopeless. They ran like their lives depended on it. And Jesus gets out of the boat and he feeds his sheep because he's the good shepherd and that's what he does. In John 10, we read this wonderful passage of Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who lays down his life for his sheep. For these lost sheep, these people who, who are running around the boat, they have no idea what Jesus is having to deal with. They have no idea what the disciples are having to work through. And actually they probably don't care because they want to get to Jesus. Jesus never turns us away when we run to him. He's never too busy, too tired, too involved in someone else's life. We can come to him, the good shepherd, just as we are. You know, God, Jesus is God, come to us to shepherd his people. I find it really fascinating that the shepherds uh, that we see in the nativity story, you know, the shepherds of Jesus' day, they were the outcasts of society. They're the lowest of the low, not allowed in the synagogue because they haven't got a good enough profession. Who are the first people that get to see the baby Jesus? Who are the first people for whom heaven is ripped, the skies are ripped open and heaven is revealed? It's those who can't go to the synagogue. It's those who are outsiders, those who are outcasts. They're invited in and they see the, the heavenly host proclaim the glory of God. Isn't that the same throughout Jesus' life? Isn't that the same in this moment here? Jesus, the good shepherd, lays down his life for the least, the last and the lost. You know, the Christmas story is all about Jesus coming to earth to redeem the world. It is a lovely story. It has such depth and meaning, but he's come in dirt and dust and grime and muck. And that's where he remained for most of his life, to redeem those who were lost. How about us? Jesus had compassion on the crowds. Sometimes we can suffer from compassion fatigue, can't we? We hear that phrase used sometimes. Well, we watch the news and I mean, I, I'm sure that for, you know, those of us who saw it on Friday, we, you know, we, we're moved with compassion. We're moved with, with anger, with grief. But sometimes we can watch it and just, it just brushes over us. We, we don't really notice. 
Maybe for some of us, we just, we've lost our temper enough times now. We just can't be bothered anymore. We've, we've seen enough need in the world and we just have had enough. No one ever notices me. Why should I notice them? Let's be honest. We've all been there. Because we're bombarded with it. Because we live in a fallen and broken world. Jesus saw the crowd, had compassion on them, for they were sheep without a shepherd. I wonder whether for some of us today we need to come back to God and ask him for his heart once more for people. Do we need to ask him to refill our hearts with compassion if we feel burnt out and bruised? And that's what he longs to do. We see in the story, you know, the second thing I want to say today really is that Jesus chooses to work out his purposes through each one of us. If we have compassion fatigue, if if any kind of an interruption is just a nightmare, if any person who dares to interfere with our our plans and purposes is, is in the way, we come to him and he changes us. We just give him who we are. We give him our frustrations and he turns that into love and compassion. So Jesus chooses to work out his purposes through us got the crowd in front of us. The disciples have, I think, a very sensible idea. It's late, let's get the crowds home so they're not finding themselves in trouble. I don't necessarily think the disciples were just being cruel. I think they were being sensible and they didn't think Jesus was being sensible. So they wanted to make sure that he knew what should be done. Jesus, send them home. If you tell them, they'll listen to you. They won't listen to us. And I think that's true. And Jesus looks at the crowd, looks at them and goes, no, you feed them. I don't think the disciples were quite expecting that response. So they say to Jesus, well, we haven't got anything to feed them with. Jesus says to them, "Um, well, go and see what you have got. How many loaves have you got, he says. How many loaves of bread have you got? And they come back and go, we've got five. Five loaves, 5,000 blokes. I know for most blokes, you could eat one loaf. It's not going to go very far. 5,000 people, 5,000 men, not even counting the women and the children. So let's assume the crowd's bigger than that. And two fish. So basically they have next to nothing. I mean, it's not like they've made any input at all, any contribution. And in fact, those five loaves and two fish, they stole off a child to give to Jesus. So, you know, there's nothing. They have nothing. There's nothing. And those people there don't have lunch boxes. They were invented in the kind of 1900s. You know, they didn't have food. They were poor. They were in desperate need. That's why they were still with Jesus. So Jesus says, well, you feed them. Bring me what you've got. The disciples go, okay, Jesus, five loaves, two fish, what can you do with that? Jesus said, well, that's enough. And in brackets, I think in the Greek it says, the disciples say to Jesus, you're crazy. Jesus, have, the, have, this, have this food. So he takes it and he breaks it and he blesses it. Because in God's hands, God's blessing can be multiplied to millions. He organises the crowd into groups, he blesses the food, gives it to his disciples uh, to, uh, to give it to others. And I just want to focus in as we finish on this one verse, in verse 41. In the New Living Translation, it translates it better than it does in, in, the, in the NIV. Um, in the NIV, in the New Living Translation, it says this, Breaking the loaves into pieces, Jesus doing this, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. He kept giving the bread to the disciples. The miracle took place in Jesus' hands and they kept coming back for more and for more and for more and for more. And here's the thing. We take to Jesus whatever we have, our next to nothing, our five loaves and two fish, whatever that might be. We put it in his hands, we can feed a crowd. 
We can continually feed the hungry. We can continually clothe the naked. We can continually welcome the stranger. We can continually visit the prisoner. We can continually be interrupted. We can continually show compassion. We can continually teach others because Jesus keeps giving to us. He gives us all we need to serve others. In a time of poverty, Jesus gives us all we need to feed others. In a time of austerity, Jesus gives us all we need to feed the serve, the serve and help the poor. If 12 disciples can feed 5,000 men, so add on the extras with basically nothing, what can we do with what we have if it's multiplied in the hands of Jesus? We just have to keep going back for more. We just have to keep going back to him for more. We give him what we have, he gives us what we need. Paul in 2 Corinthians, um, when talking about giving, says this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you will be made rich in every way, so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You will be made rich in every way, so you can be generous on every occasion. That's written to a church, not in middle-class, affluent, Western world. It's written to a church in Turkey, which is poor, which is struggling. And, and Paul says, you're rich in every way, that you can be rich in every way to others. We just give to Jesus what we have. All of us can do that. And he gives to us what we need to serve and feed the world. Jesus is the good shepherd. He invites us to himself. He says, come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest. If you feel like you're a lost sheep, if you feel like you've wandered, if you feel like you're lacking purpose, the invitation is to come to me today. Come to Jesus today. If you feel like there's no way that you can make a difference in the situation you find yourself in, you just give to Jesus your next to nothing and see what he'll do with it. All of us can play our part. The disciples stole from someone else to have some resources. We don't have to do that. We just give him what we've got. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We give to him what we've got and then we allow him to do with it what he will. And we'll be amazed at the results. Why don't we stand together as we pray before we come to communion?